over to them. That's Douglas and Isis Rivera, and they're getting baptized today. And so they wanted to come up to encourage them as they begin their journey with God. Where's Douglas and Isis? There you are. I want you to stand up for a second. Say hello. This is Douglas and Isis Rivera. Um, they speak Spanish. Castilian. They speak the ancient language of the Americas. And uh, so they don't speak very much English. And what we feel God is doing is he's beginning to um, tap into the Latin ministry and the Latin people in Oxnard in our community to help them become true disciples of Jesus. So for that, they are the, the tip of the spear, as we say, in that uh, ministry. So we're very excited for them and we're very thrilled that they are here. So uh, that's why the Latino ministry is here. So if you smell some carne asada, don't panic. <laughs> don't panic. They are here. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. I want to uh, give you a lesson today entitled, When Jesus Enters the Temple. Or you can title it, When Jesus Enters Your Temple. When he enters the temple. Matthew chapter 21. Okay, verse, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were there buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? He was quoting Psalms chapter 8, verse 2. You know, when Jesus enters the temple, when he enters, he expects there to be, or he expects it to be, a house of prayer. But in this situation, they were making it a den of robbers. In other words, they were, the, the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders allowed people to sell doves and different items for the sacrifice for the Jewish people. But that was not the intention of the temple. The priests were to do that, but the people were to, to on their own, gather their sacrifice and bring them to the temple. And because there was an exchange of money, they turned what was a house of prayer into what Jesus calls it, a den of robbers. You know, and then, and then once, once Jesus exposes that and he sees the children singing to Jesus, the religious leaders get indignant. You look at that passage and you say, what hypocrisy. 
They allowed all these things to happen in God's temple, and yet when the children are praising the Messiah, they get indignant. Don't you know what these children are doing? Now, I find that interesting in a parenting point of view. The children broke out in song. You don't hear the parents, okay, now, this is Jesus, sing your song. No. The children broke out in song. From a parent point of view, I'm like, that's cool. But I don't have to give any direction to my kids. They break out in song, and they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Not the parents, but the kids. It gives you another glimpse of insight into how important it is for your family, the father and the mother, to teach your children who Jesus is. And when you do that, they'll break out in song. They'll see spiritual things. Um, another a point I, I can make about this passage is that the Pharisees led bad company into their temple. Bad company came into God's temple. Money changers, selling offerings. And Jesus clears out the temple. He begins to heal people. People start worshiping. And the children start praising God. And Jesus puts a focus back on prayer in this temple. And he quotes Isaiah 56, verse 7. Um, in this passage you know what hypocrisy you know the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were aligning themselves with the wrong people and there's a passage in the Bible that gives us insight into who we uh, get our who we spend our time with in 1 Corinthians 15 the Bible reads do not be misled in other words don't be faked out bad company Corrupts good character. A woman's husband had been slipping in and out of a coma for several months, yet she stayed by his bedside every single day. When he came to, he motioned over to her to come a little closer. As she sat by him, he said, You know what? You've been with me all through the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot, you were by my side. When we lost the house, you gave me support. When my health started failing, you were still by my side. You know what? And his wife asked, what, dear? And the husband replied, I think you bring me bad luck. The moral of that story, in a funny way, is in some relationships are not good. I found that very funny. Some of you are going, ah, <laughs> it's a funny story. It's not true, but it's funny. Some people are just not good for each other. And so... That's even written, that, that, that little phrase there is interesting because Paul takes that phrase, bad company corrupts good character, don't be misled. He takes that from a Greek theater play. A, a man called Menander wrote this, and it was supposed to be a comedy. But he takes this, this comedy point of view, this comedy principle, and applies it to the scriptures and says, you know, this is true. It's true in the church, and it's true outside of the church. That if you align yourself with bad company, it'll corrupt your good character. Another parenting nugget. Who do your friends hang? Who do you who do you allow your children to be friends with at the early ages? 
as a parent, you have to somewhat monitor that a little bit. You can't just let them run around with a the, with the neighborhood spray painter. That's not good because your, your son will be a, a spray painter. What does they call him? A tagger nowadays. And guys like me and Steve Burns, we're always looking for taggers in our neighborhood. It's true that bad company can get a good person into a lot of trouble. You know, Jesus enters the temple area and he drives out all who are buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling to Jesus cleared out the bad company in his temple. And as a, as a person, as a Christian, what is the bad company that's in your temple? Maybe there's a relationship at work that makes you more worldly than spiritual. And you've already, con- you've already confirmed him, shared your faith, you've done what you needed to do, but you're continually dr- being drawn into this relationship. And it's making you more and more unspiritual. Bad company corrupts good character. And Jesus challenges two people, the foolish and the mocker. Here's what he says. Proverbs 14, verse 7. Stay away from the foolish, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. The mocker seeks wisdom. Now, a mocker is someone that doesn't like to be corrected. Okay, they don't like correction. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the the discerning. Jesus wants to clear out your temple. He wants to clear out the foolishness and the mockery. He wants to clear out the hypocrisy. He wants you to stop coming to church trying to look good, but inside it's a mess. He wants to clear it out. And he wants to come into your life and clear it out. Because in our flesh, we so much want to be like the Pharisees. We want people to think we're, we're doing great, we're doing awesome. And there's, there's a component in there. You, you, you need to be, be doing well spiritually, yes. But doing well spiritually is spiritual honesty. You know, I, I love being able to call a brother when I, when I fight with my wife. Last night, followed Karen. That's not why she's not a church, Jaden's sick, just so you know. But I was able to call Steve. I said, Steve, I know Steve Richards was on a boat in the Caribbean somewhere having a great time. So I called Steve Burns. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's going on in my life. It was great to get my temple cleared out. I went time to go pray and, and reflect on my actions and my reactions. And focus on me, not on Karen, but on me and what I need to change and what I need to grow in. It was great calling Steve. It was just, you know, I left a message and guess what? He called me back. That's what friends do. They call each other. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. My second point is when Jesus enters the temple, he heals. I'm not sure what happened there, but he heals. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. There we go. Great job. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cursed, or I'm sorry, were cured, and the people all tried to touch Jesus. 
because power was coming from him and healing them all. You know, when Jesus comes to clear your temple, he doesn't come just to, just to remove the hypocrisy. He comes to heal you from the inside. He doesn't want to call you a hypocrite. He wants to fix the inside that creates the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you hold someone else to a standard that you yourself aren't keeping. And it sticks out like a sore thumb to those that know you. We try to hide it. But Jesus wants to heal it. And people were touching Jesus. And, 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 they, and they noticed. The writer observes that power was coming from out of Jesus into the people that were touching him. You know what's something I noticed about this passage? Jesus didn't mind people touching him. He didn't mind that the weak and the needy needed to touch him. In fact, he notices it more. If, uh, in this passage here in Luke 8, look at this passage. In Luke 8, it says, As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Can you imagine Jesus walking through a crowd, and the crowd is almost crushing Jesus? And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And no one could heal her. She came up behind him. Can you just imagine her trying to touch Jesus through a crowd? She must have just slipped her hand in between people. To touch the edge of his cloak. And immediately she stopped bleeding. Jesus asked, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But someone, and someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. You know, all these people are, are pressing on Jesus. And no power is being released. But when this woman touches him, he, his power was released to heal. Why her? Why not the masses that were crowding around him? Why her? Because she knew she needed healing. See, there has to be an understanding in your heart that you need Jesus. The people that were crushing around him, they felt they didn't need Jesus that much. Or, I, I'm too strong for Jesus. I don't need a Christ in my life. They were crushing against him. You see, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. And people that are healthy do not become self-righteous. If you're doing well spiritually, don't fall into the, self the trap of being self-righteous. Because that's what the Pharisees did. When you think you are strong, be careful because you might fall hard. The Bible says don't be over-righteous and don't be over-wicked. But know this. You know in your heart what you need. And all you need to do, do is go to Jesus. Go to Him. Because He heals. I found that passage very interesting. The masses touched Jesus, but He felt the one who was the weakest. When you're weak, that is good. Because the power of Jesus is made perfect in weakness. It's not made perfect in strength. It's made perfect when you're weak. And we feel weak all the time, don't we? In fact, we feel weak daily, do we not? 
You know, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians, that we, we help the weak, just like Jesus did. We encourage the timid. We're patient with everyone, and we warn the idle. Do you want to be healed this morning? Did you come to church wanting to be healed? Or did you want to church, did you come to church be just, to, just to punch in, hey, I came to church. And I pressed against Jesus, but I felt no power. And you'll feel no power because you didn't come for help. You got to come for help. That's the humble spirit. You come for help. When I came to this church, you know, I tried to be strong. And after I got four or five hugs and some kisses on the cheek by men at church, I was like, whoa, I need help from the fellowship. But in my heart, I was so jealous of me not having that kind of relationship with men. I longed to have relationships like that and never could because I was too strong for those kind of relationships. And now since I became a Christian, I, I, I savor those hugs and those embraces. They mean much more to me because I understand now that we're, we're two weak people trying to help each other get to heaven and hang on to Jesus. And we're helping others along the way. Do you want to be healed? You know, a deaf man, a blind man, and a disabled man heard a rumor. This is a joke. I'm trying to get you ready. Get you ready because the last one, you missed it. It's a rumor that God came down to a mountaintop to solve people's problems. They all went to find out if it was true. God asked the deaf man, Can I help you, son? The man signed, uh, he signed that he would be so happy if he could get his, his hearing back. God touched the man and suddenly he could hear. God then touched the blind man and he was able to see. The third man was sitting in his wheelchair with his mouth wide open in amazement. God looked at the man and asked, and asked him what he wanted. The man drew back and said, Don't lay one finger on me. I'm on disability. Do you want to be healed? Sometimes it's more comfortable for the Lord not to touch you in your life. But do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? It's better when I told you it was coming, huh? The third thing about Jesus, when he enters your temple, enters the temple, he drives out evil. He drives out evil. I'm not sure if you can see this, but I'm going to read it to you. When an evil spirit comes out of anyone, it means when a person repents and, and, and gets, the, gets the spirit away from him, I, I'm changing my life. It, the spirit goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then, he, then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. You know, when we have to know a principle in the, in, the, in the scriptures. When we drive out evil, it desires to come back. You don't just repent once and say, I'll never struggle with that sin again. It wants to come back. In fact, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grab some friends and come back. But don't let your house look like this house. This house was unoccupied. It was furnished. It means it looked clean. It looked like home. 
but no one was home. They looked good on the outside, but no one was home on the inside. An empty house, empty life, and evil will come right back and they'll make a party out of it because no one is home. No one is home praying. No one is there. The empty house, the person repents and then goes back to his sins. He's not home to to make his house a house of prayer. It's an interesting passage. Don't just think because you got because you overcame one sin that the, 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 the demons leave you alone. Once you get strong in one area, they expose another area. And another area. And then you're going, I'm weak. That's right, you are. Go and touch Jesus. Because when you start being aware of what I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm weak. I, don't get discouraged. Just touch the cloak. Just get through the crowd. Get through the confusion. Get through the chaos. And get yourself in the Bible. Get yourself into prayer. You know, I have kids at home, man. They're running around in the morning. Ah, it's breakfast time, slapping some oatmeal and feeding them. Hey, I need to make a house of prayer. With children in the house, sometimes it, get more, it gets a little bit more difficult. Having a house of prayer. So that much more discipline at home. Lastly, Jesus, when he enters the temple... He'll deliver you from the evil one. You know, when Jesus enters your temple, he wants to turn it to a house of prayer. How much time do you spend praying? Now, it's not quantity. It's quality, of course. But there is a component of quantity. You know, if you're you're praying 30 seconds a day, you're probably not going to get much out of your relationship with God. But if you're taking some time to go where to pray and meditate and really think and pray with your, your whole heart, You'll find yourself being a little tired. It's a little, it's a little, you have to expend some energy. And when people have done that in the past, incredible changes take place. Let me give you a few people in the Bible that you might recognize. John the Apostle. When Jesus met him, they came across a little city, and the city didn't say, Hey, we don't want you to teach your Jesus. You know what John says? Jesus, let's call out fire and burn their city and burn the women and children. That was John's attitude with someone who rejected the gospel. Let's burn them. And there were children in that little village. There were women in there. John told, let's burn to the ground, Jesus. What do you say? And Jesus goes, hey, wait a minute. That's not what I came to do. Touch my cloak. And so John, John sees Jesus die and is risen from the dead. And John, if you read his letters in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, even John the, the Gospel, he's known as the Apostle of Love. What a transformation. Prayer. How about Peter? I'll never deny you, Lord. Never. I will never deny you. I will die with you. And then when Jesus was being, was being tried for being put to death, he denied him three times. He was a coward. And we're all cowards in one way or another. We all are. I'm a coward. We all have it. We're all scared to go, ooh, this is, this is really... Uh, I don't want to talk to him about the way he hurt me. Uh, uh. We, we, we have it in us. He goes from a coward 
to preaching the very first lesson about the resurrection of Jesus and convinces 3,000 people to get baptized. Amazing change, huh? Third, Paul. Paul, Paul or Saul. Saul murdered people. He went around arresting women and children and taking you from your home. That's what he did. He approved of the stoning of Stephen. They laid their clothes at his feet saying, I like this. That's who he was. Now we read all his letters about, you know, I was stoned, I was shipwrecked for the gospel. He himself became persecuted for the same church he was trying to destroy. That's the power of of Jesus in the house of prayer. It changes you. It moves you. It motivates you to change. Remember the Old Testament, Gideon? He was, a little, he was a scared little warrior. I'm, the, I, he, I'm like the worst guy in my whole family. I, I'm the biggest chicken in my whole family. He even told the angel that. And the angel told him, Hey, mighty warrior, you're going to do great things for God. And Gideon did. Gideon he actually needed some help twice by the Lord. Literally had to help him twice to get the confidence to go. And God will do that when you have a house of prayer. He'll give you confidence. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is another joke. <laughs> one day, three men were walking along and came upon a raging river, violent, a violent river. They needed to get to the other side, but had no idea how to do it. The first man prayed to God, saying, Please, God, give me the strength to cross this river. Poof. God gave him big arms and big legs and he looked like Steve Burns and he was able to swim across the river in about two hours seeing this the second man prayed to God saying please God give me the strength and ability to cross the river poof God made him a rowboat and he was able to row across the river in about three hours the third man had seen this how it had worked for the two other guys so he also prayed to God saying please God give me the strength Ability and intelligence to cross this river. And poof, God turned him into a woman. She looked at the map, then walked across the bridge. God will deliver you from the evil one. Amen, sisters. Got one for you there. God will deliver you. The point of that joke is you need to pray, not just pray, but pray for wisdom. And don't stop praying. Pray especially when you're anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Yes, you don't have to be anxious. But in everything, a chihuahua and your dog, pray about everything. Petition and thanksgiving to God. Present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. You know, praying is what guards you from the evil one. It guards your heart from doing things you know you ought not to do. It guards you. It transcends a peace that Steve talked about that doesn't make sense to people outside in the world. They can't make sense of why you're so peaceful during a chaotic situation. That's the peace that we're given by Jesus. And no one else can give us that peace other than Jesus. 
And the Bible also says this. Pray continually. Amen. Not just in your morning quiet time. Because at 1130, there's a, there's a demon in your door. Pray then. Pray on the way home from work. Pray during the L.A. gridlock traffic. Pray and pray and pray. And don't stop praying. Pray continually. That's how we make our house into a house of prayer. And we keep the den of robbers out of our house. Because Jesus will clear his temple. And that temple being you. Thank you for your time.